This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to Pacific Review from ABC Radio Australia. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. Coming up, hundreds of human skulls were taken from Pacific burial grounds to Germany in the late 19th century. Now work is underway to bring them home and find out more about this troubling past. The skulls that they were collected because they were trying to compare our brain capacity between the Germans and the Islanders. Uh. Also ahead, a popular Netflix documentary comes under fire for dismissing Pacific Islander history. I mean, we have oral histories of our ancestors building this city. So to say that it was built by aliens, uh, for us it's funny. And the French baguette has been awarded special cultural protection status by UNESCO, but in France's contested Pacific territories, love for the loaf is divided. We cannot say that it's our heritage because it's a part of the French colonial uh, object. First, though, to Fiji, where election officials are fighting the elements, trucking through rivers, dense forests and mountains to deliver ballots to the country's most remote communities. Residents in these far-flung areas are voting days before the rest of the country, who head to the polls on December 14. Lede Muvono in Suva with this report. Travelling in sometimes treacherous conditions, electoral officials delivered ballot boxes to almost 80,000 people in more than 600 communities. We are hoping for good weather. Please pray for good weather. Please pray for the safety of my staff. We're looking forward to a big turnout on uh, in Prepol. In the last election, Prepol turnout was 64%. Uh, that was not uh, acceptable by any means. Mohammed Sanim is Fiji's supervisor of elections. This village is four and a half hours of walk across this one river, this one river, and you have to cross that river 25 times. Sometimes it's waist deep, sometimes it's knee deep, because they don't want people crossing the river at night. The river is uh, has got uh, gravel in it, so... The chances that you will cross without falling is zero. So taking materials into these areas is not easy. In the village of Nasele in Naitasiri province, the first voter to cast her ballot was Vilomena Likumoto. She says whoever wins these elections must move the country forward. In my view, elections should be about getting help to our communities. It was very easy because there were booklets to help me vote. This was the fourth time for me to vote. Leading up to the elections, I was praying to him to help me vote wisely. In my view, these elections should be for good governance and good leaders so our needs can be met. Teams were sent to Fiji's outer islands as far as Lau, which is closer to Tonga than to mainland Fiji, and deep into mountainous regions where horses are the main mode of transportation. Very, very treacherous. So uh, that is the, the lay of the land, as I must say. Some of the maritime region islands. Onoilau is the last island. It is further from Fiji than the nearest country, right? And you have to go by boat. It takes, I think... Uh, Two days by boat, right? The boat, the boat does their briefing before they get on the ship, and then uh, there is daily captain's briefing. And um, you can't train anybody for a sea voyage. Mostly, you can just be prepared for it. And uh, so that's what we're 
thing. So pre-poll is happening in areas where it is hard to reach, uh, also where there is low connectivity. The overall goal is to get more people to vote and improve turnout from the 64% that voted at the last elections. Pre-poll voting is for communities too far away from or too small for a polling station. For Nasele headman Rsikeli Rambakele, he is happy his village was the first to vote. We were happy that the first pre-poll happened in our village. We prepared well and the FEO was helpful in raising awareness, especially to the elderly. We are happy with the turnout of voters today. We asked them to choose wisely, to choose a government we could all support to lead us in the way forward. I'm encouraging voters to do their duty and to vote to choose a government to lead us into the future. That was Nesele Village Headman Sikele Rambekele ending that report by Lide Muvono in Suva, Fiji. Now to Papua New Guinea, where the cost of some alcoholic drinks is set to skyrocket due to a newly imposed tax, a 500% increase to the excise tax on certain pre-mixed drinks was announced in PNG's 2023 national budget. But spirits aren't the only thing being mixed here. But spirits aren't the only things being mixed here. Opinions on the new tax are also divided, as Marion Farr reports. Lick, lick money, big plus bar. It's a saying heard frequently across Papua New Guinea. It means for a little money, you can get very drunk, often referring to cheap pre-mixed drinks with high alcohol content. A lot has changed growing up in Port Moresby in the past, say, 15 years since the introduction of cheap pre-mixed alcohol into the market. Richard Marion has lived in Port Moresby most of his life and he says pre-mixed alcohol is to blame for a rise in crime. I think it's rapidly became popular, especially amongst young unemployed people in the city. They represent a large part of the consumer market. The growth, the popularity was quite exponential. He's noticed more theft, violence and general antisocial behaviour, like loud parties and people being a nuisance on the streets. We're a lot more guarded and apprehensive because a lot of the riffraff about committing petty crime, they're not doing that to feed an empty stomach, if you will. They're just committing petty crime so that they could get the next fix. For years, disgruntled citizens have been calling for something to be done. And last week, the PNG government announced a dramatic 493% increase in the tax on these types of alcoholic drinks. Kelly Samoff, an economics lecturer from the University of Papua New Guinea, says consumers will feel the pinch. This is a pretty hefty tax. The prices of these types of alcoholic drinks, they will go up, they will increase. It's expected to raise an additional 30 million kina for the government next year. This goes in line with the government's plan to um, continue growing their revenue base because um, what we're seeing is that this current government has a plan, right, to reduce their budget deficit by 2027. The tax will be applied at the point of sale, meaning buyers will bear the brunt. But Mr Samoff says local producers of alcoholic drinks will also be impacted. Employees employed in these alcohol industries might be let go. And even one manufacturer stated that they might let go of um, 2,000 employees. And if that's 2,000 employees let go, then that's 2,000 families in PNG without a steady income. 
Richard Marion believes these companies should take responsibility. The companies that produce and sell cheap alcohol or pre-mixed alcohol have long enjoyed the revenues and the business from the alcohol sales. However, they, I don't feel like they have fully attended to the corporate social responsibility to these communities from which they, they profit from. It's a sentiment shared by lay resident Ezra Kaipaletti. He also attributes social issues in his city to cheap alcohol. Incidents like people stabbing each other from knives or causing troubles with other communities, they get themselves into troubles fighting from each other and those things never end. But not everyone is in favour of the new tax. Port Moresby local Solomon Korowa believes young people will turn to illegal home-brewed alcohol instead, which can be extremely dangerous to consume. When they increase the price, they tend to other sorts of alcohol like homebrew or drugs. It's going to cause more problems from my point of view. He also worries that a rise in alcohol prices will impact families. Especially the fathers, most of them are alcoholics, so... If they tend to drink more alcohol and they spend more money on alcohol, then I don't think by the end of the day the family won't have any food to eat. So for me, I don't think it's a good idea. Mr Korowa wants to see the government investing more in other strategies. I think they should um, increase the police presence in its like uh, suburbs. Mostly they should uh, put the concentration into the law and order. That's the only problem here. While Richard Marion is in favour of the alcohol tax, he agrees it's only a first step. I think the effort should extend from imposing this tax into bolstering current legislation on um, offences related to alcohol abuse and antisocial behaviour in our communities. That was Port Moresby resident Richard Marion ending Marion Fire's report and the PNG treasurer in Ling Stucky has been contacted for comment. In Germany, thousands of human remains taken from the Pacific decades ago are on their way home thanks to a restitution project headed by the University of Göttingen. Many of the skulls and skeletons held by the university were used in race research, an outdated practice widely condemned for its bigotry and racism. And as I found, some Pacific communities are only just finding out their ancestors were removed from burial sites. When you enter the collection rooms of the anthropology department in the University of Göttingen, you're greeted by looming white shelves stacked tall with cardboard boxes. It looks like your regular storage room, pretty unremarkable. But inside these boxes are reminders of a dark and troubling moment in Germany's scientific past. Our ancestor remains are in Göttingen. McMichael Mutok Jr. works as a history preservation specialist and registrar for the Palau government. He visited the university to see what was inside these boxes. At least 10 of them contain skulls taken from his islands in the Pacific and shipped to Germany more than 100 years ago. They had these markings or numbers that's written on the skulls, each of the skulls. And the Gottingen University has the the list of index cards uh, that would identify as Palau. And there were actually like 10 of them that were in the collections. Not much was known about the skulls, where exactly they came from, or how they all got to Europe from Palau. Mr. Mutok Jr. is part of a team of cultural representatives, researchers, and historians trying to find answers and get those human remains back home. 
In their investigations, they've made some shocking discoveries. So I actually find out like a lot of our ancestor remains were collected by uh, the South Seas expedition. Paul Hamburg was actually went to this one uh, village and he actually asked the, the villagers uh, that he needed a couple of uh, skulls. Uh, and then the, the villagers, they actually refused. So he went there by himself and took a couple of them without knowledge of our villagers, yeah. That lack of knowledge meant that until Mr. Mutok Jr. was contacted by the university in Germany, he and many Palauans didn't even know the skulls were stolen and taken abroad. What I learned is um, the skulls that they were collected because they were trying to compare our brain capacity between the Germans and the the islanders. uh. The German collectors didn't just take skulls from Palau. There are thousands of human remains from countries including Papua New Guinea, Kiribati, French Polynesia, Australia and New Zealand, stored in just two collections by the University of Göttingen. It has been networks of missionaries, of early explorers and so on, who have kind of been requested to deliver human remains. Jonathan Kurtzwilly is a social anthropologist researching the university's sensitive provenances project to return the human remains. The early, early scientists of the Enlightenment who then established comparative anatomy and, and often quite explicitly wanted to do what uh, today is described as race sciences. He says the project is part of a renewed focus by Germany's museums and universities to recognize their sometimes disturbing colonial pasts. Germany has been very strong in kind of reworking through the history of the Second World War and of the Holocaust. But Germany only recently woke up to its colonial history. Germany is is at the moment uh, at a level in which many uh, institutions proactively say, well, we realize we have a collection that we really haven't looked for 50 years at, and maybe we should do something with it. And maybe it's problematic to keep having it. Fijian archaeologist Dr. Teresi Vunadillo is a fellow at the University of Göttingen. For me as a researcher, alongside my fellow you know, researchers from Africa and, and Oceania, it's quite an emotional journey because a lot of us uh, look at these human remains just like, you know, their family. She says it's a difficult process to find the families and return their ancestral remains. The majority, unfortunately, are not clear or unknown. So what we're doing is we're learning from examples like in Hawaii and New Zealand and Australia when there are unknown locations or unknown sources, that's when the museums step in. So in some countries, they do kind of a combined burial or a memorial. The things are changing. It's shifting from museums being gatekeepers or stopping Indigenous people from accessing these collections to now inviting people from Indigenous uh, communities to actually come along and research about their own people. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Back in Palau, McMichael Matok Jr. is also glad to be part of the project. But he says it will be at least a year for his country's ancestors to return home. But for me, I feel like there's still more out there. There's still more work to do. McMichael Matok Jr., registrar from the government of Palau, ending that report. 
The French baguette has been awarded a special cultural protection status by the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, better known as UNESCO. But despite the honor, in the French Pacific, the breadstick has a complicated status. Some residents see it as a mealtime staple. Others, though, see it as a symbol of French colonialism, as reporter Dubrovka Volodev found. A baguette to share with friends or family. It's many people's idea of a laid-back breakfast and one that's been made a cultural heritage. While it's quintessentially French, their ancestors brought it to the Pacific during colonial times. Rere Akbefe from Western Sydney is part Tahitian and says it's a staple for many people in her home country. The baguette the whole family enjoys. We break it off or we cut it off all together. We're actually all sharing, breaking bread, basically how I say it. We break bread on a daily basis with our loved ones. So it is a very much staple food. It's a delicious staple food, but they are very much aware that it is a French-inspired, like a lot of their menus are. In Vanuatu's capital, Port Vila, the baguette is the one item at Le Parisien Bakery, according to Carol Nikahi. Everybody buys baguette when they come in the morning. First thing they ask is for the baguette. So French people and some locals. The baguette as we know it today was standardized about 100 years ago. It has to weigh 250 grams and be 80 centimeters long to be classified as the real deal. Made with only four ingredients, flour, water, salt and yeast, the dough must rest for at least 15 hours at a certain temperature, according to the French Baker's Confederation. Rere Akbefe says when done right, it's a delicious and mouth-watering food. It's fresh. It's daily. It's fresh. When I come back to Australia after having my holidays visiting family, I actually will, for the first two weeks, keep eating French baguettes. And in the French territory of New Caledonia, French settlers in the 19th century brought the recipes with them. They started selling baguettes, which can now be bought in bakeries and most supermarkets in urban areas. Local journalist Brigitte Wapp says despite calls for independence from France, the baguette is popular in the capital city, Noumea. Everyone buys it because it's, we used to, to have it every day. It's common. We can eat bread like we eat yams or tapioca. Uh, it's now really common and it's, uh, yeah, an habit. Everybody can eat bread uh, in the morning, breakfast or tea time and uh, with meal also. Uh, when you go to the restaurant, you have free, free bread, free baguette. But in the Pacific, does the baguette symbolize French colonialism in the region? Charles Weir is from New Caledonia's pro-independence FLNKS, which is the government party. The kind of people we call the baguette as uh, something that has been imported from France. Conception meant food in New Caledonia because we, we, we took it as a symbol. I mean, for other kind of people. We cannot say that it's our heritage because it's a part of the French colonial uh, object that has been important from France because we've been Francisized. Because now in New Caledonia, when you try to see how we consume all the food that have been imported. Associate Professor of French Studies at Australia's National University, Leslie Barnes, says it does raise some questions. There are certainly pockets especially in a place like New Caledonia, where obviously we've had quite a lot of debate about whether New Caledonia should remain part of France. There are certainly people there who are 
acutely aware of its colonial origins and may see consuming that staple as a, a gesture of complicity. But Associate Professor Barnes also points out in many nations, the baguette has been adapted to local tastes and these varieties can now be found alongside the French traditional style. Dubrovka Volide with that report. Now the Netflix documentary series Ancient Apocalypse is under fire from archaeologists who are accusing the makers of racism and rewriting Pacific history. The show is pulling in a big audience across the world, but as Hugo Hodge reports, critics say the content is based on pseudoscience. Did you know that you were picking a fight with academia? Experts on Pacific history have slammed a hugely popular new series on Netflix, which they say is founded on racist ideologies. The program, Ancient Apocalypse, hosted by Graham Hancock, claims to overthrow the paradigm of history. We have forgotten something incredibly important in our own past. And I think that that incredibly important forgotten thing is a lost advanced civilization of the Ice Age. Professor Patrick Nunn from the University of the Sunshine Coast, who specialises in Pacific geography and archaeology, says the program is misleading. You know, most of the, the content and, and most of what is proposed in this uh, is without any kind of scientific foundation. In the first episode, Hancock offers up a revised version of Indo-Pacific history. Using two lesser-known archaeological sites as examples, Ganung Padang in Java, Indonesia, and Nan Madol in Ponape, Micronesia, Hancock theorises that an advanced civilization built both sites over 20,000 years ago during the last Ice Age. That's tens of thousands of years earlier than archaeologists believe these sites were built. Perhaps there's been a forgotten episode in human history. Professor Mark McCoy, an expert on Pacific Island archaeology from the Southern Methodist University in Dallas, says Ancient Apocalypse uses classic moves from the pseudoscience playbook. The production value is high, right, in presenting itself as a sort of a factual series. Another one is, of course, to demonize the expert. Perhaps the extremely defensive, arrogant and patronizing attitude of mainstream academia is stopping us from... The experts are always against me, and archaeologists are certainly the bad guys in this series. Hancock suggests the volcanic rock used in both Ganung Padang and Nan Madol is proof of megalithic architecture from a lost civilization. But Professor McCoy points out that columnar basalt is found at volcanic hotspots around the world. So they are just a thing that happens when you have volcanoes. And so what you just happen to have is two groups of people who are building using the same sort of natural bit of stone. The version of Micronesian history put forward in Ancient Apocalypse is the furthest from the truth. According to Augustine Kohler, the acting director of the Micronesian Office of National Archives and Cultural and Historic Preservation. I mean, we have oral histories of our ancestors building this city. So to say that it was built by aliens, uh, for us it's funny. It's not something that we take seriously. Present-day Ponapeans can trace their ancestry back to the builders of Nan Madol. You know, when you're born, you belong to a certain clan, and you can trace your clan back. And your clan has a function in society, and some of the clans were responsible for building this site. So all over Pompeii, I mean, we can trace it back. Even today, our traditional system, where you have the Nan Marquis, the high chief, I mean, this is all derived from Nan Madol. 
Theories about an advanced civilization lost to rising sea levels are not new. Critics of these theories say they strip indigenous peoples of their rich histories and can be traced back to white supremacist ideologies. The concept of an ancient super race was popular with the Nazis. This kind of interpretation of who made Nanbadol is founded very strongly in the racist philosophies, if you like, of the 19th century. You know, it's simply not possible, you know, for people who were not Europeans to have built such incredible structures. Therefore, it must have been transplanted Europeans that somehow built them. Professor McCoy says ancient apocalypse is creating fantasy with people's real heritage. If the roles were reversed and Micronesians were making these sorts of stories up about uh, Stonehenge or some European sites, that Europeans would probably find it offensive. Professor Nunn believes these programs should be seen purely as entertainment. As soon as you start to, start to take it seriously, then you are really engaging with all sorts of nonsense and all sorts of demeaning, racist-informed agendas. And, and I think that's where it becomes really dangerous indeed. Patrick Nunn, Professor of Geography at the University of the Sunshine Coast, ending that report from Hugo Hodge. And that is it from Pacific Review. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. Thank you so much for listening. And do join us again the same time, same place next week for more news and views from around the Pacific.